We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 240 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, January 31st, 2022, the first day of a massive week for the Washington football team, which soon will not be known as the Washington football team. Wednesday is the day on which the team finally, mercifully, will announce its new name Wednesday. Yes, is 2.2.22. And then Thursday is 2.3.22, the day on which the team will get blasted via Congress. Thursday is the day on which we'll have that roundtable with multiple former Washington football team employees before Congress detailing their experiences of workplace misconduct while working for Washington. So if you are a Washington fan, as am I, uh, brace yourself for this week. Buckle up for this week. It's going to be a wild ride. But hello and welcome to a Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Hope you had a great weekend. We do have a few days until the chaos begins. At least we think that we have a few days until the chaos begins. You never know with our football team when the chaos is actually going to get going. Uh, But the Super Bowl now is set. Super Bowl 56, February 13th, 2.13.22 at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. Inglewood, always up to no good. The Los Angeles Rams versus the Cincinnati Bengals. What a conference championship Sunday that we had. Next segment, I'll give you my Washington football team-related thoughts on and takeaways from the Rams' 2017 win over the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game and the Bengals' 27-24 overtime win at the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. I tell you, we had the all-time great divisional round the previous weekend. We had a very good conference championship Sunday on Sunday. I know that the wild card round wasn't great, but this NFL postseason overall has been great, and there's a lot to take from it as a Washington football team fan. Hey, is Tom Brady retiring, or isn't he? How about that mess on Saturday? Did you follow that? 
Uh, this is either Tom Brady having been betrayed by someone who leaked the major news of his retirement before that news was supposed to get out, or this is one of the greatest instances of fake news ever. People reporting that Tom Brady is retiring when in fact he isn't retiring. We'll see which scenario ends up being the case, but I'm going to hold my fire on talking Tom Brady retirement because we still don't know for sure whether he's retiring. Uh, if he is retiring, that's one more quarterback needy team with which our Washington football team must compete this offseason. Also on the show, we actually had Washington football team news over the last few days. I'm going to get into that. I'll talk Capitals. Great win for the Caps on Friday night. 5-0 at the Dallas Stars. Could it be, might it be, that Vitek Vanacek is separating himself as the Caps' number one goaltender? I will talk Wizards. Uh, my goodness, the Wizards are bad right now. A 115-95 loss at the Memphis Grizzlies on Saturday night. If you haven't heard what Spencer Dinwiddie said after that game, you got to hear it. I'll play it for you. We also got to get into Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. benching a bunch of guys. Daniel Gafford, Davies Bertans, Haul Neto, all of them were DNP CDs on Saturday night. Uh, Bradley Beal, had some struggles on Saturday night as well. Uh, and I'll talk college basketball. So much for Maryland's two-game winning streak. We'll discuss a 68-55 Terrapins loss to Indiana at Xfinity Center in College Park on Saturday afternoon, as well as Georgetown falling to 0-7 in the Big East with a 56-53 loss at Butler on Saturday afternoon, and Virginia falling to 6-5 in the ACC with a 69-65 loss at Notre Dame on Saturday evening. But I'll also get into Virginia Tech shooting out of its mind in an 85-72 win at Florida State on Saturday afternoon. So a lot of ground to cover, as is usually the case on a Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, to which you should be a subscriber. Uh, if you aren't a subscriber to the podcast, please consider subscribing to the pod. Uh, subscribing costs you nothing. Make sure that you never miss an episode. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating. If you haven't yet done that, you can now rate podcasts on Spotify. And if you're using Apple Podcasts, if you could, just please write a brief one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet done that, the, the ratings and reviews help to make the podcast successful. Advertisers look at the ratings and the reviews, and I appreciate you very much doing the ratings and the reviews. I really do. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Sean Carter on the Washington football team search for a franchise quarterback. Right, Sean? I'd like to start by saying I love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Sean. Continue, Sean. My question is, am I the only one who feels the quarterback situation is being forced? We know this year's quarterback draft class is subpar, and to be honest, none of the veterans available intrigue me. Aaron Rodgers, old. Russell Wilson, old. Deshaun Watson, obvious legal issues. Jimmy G, Mitch Trubisky, Derek Carr, and others don't seem like they can get you very far. Is each an upgrade? Maybe sure, but are they long-term solutions? I don't think so. Why not stick with Taylor Heineke for another year now that he has a full year under his belt? The kids got heart and can win football games. Instead of forcing an elite quarterback this offseason, why not insert more talent around him and wait for a better rookie 
quarterback class. All right, so there's a lot in this email. Uh, so to me, you can't just group all of those veteran quarterbacks together, all right? Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, and Derek Carr. Those four guys, to me, are all good to great quarterbacks. There are nits to pick with each of them. And obviously with Watson, there's a big legal situation with which to be concerned. But those are all good to great quarterbacks. They're different than a Jimmy Garoppolo or a Mitchell Trubisky. So let's start with that. I don't think you can just group all of those people together. And while, yes, the quarterback class for the 2022 NFL draft is perceived to be subpar, the key word there is perceived. Uh, NFL draft analysts get stuff wrong all of the time. NFL general managers get stuff wrong all of the time. That's how Patrick Mahomes lasted until the 10th pick in the 2017 NFL draft. That's how Deshaun Watson lasted until the 12th pick in the 2017 NFL draft. That's how Justin Herbert lasted until the 6th pick in the 2020 NFL draft. So while, yes, the 2022 draft does not appear to be a very good draft for quarterbacks, don't be so certain that there won't be any good, if not great quarterbacks, ultimately, from the 2022 NFL draft. I am not convinced that this quarterback draft class is as bad as everyone is saying. The draft class might be as bad as everyone is saying, but don't be so certain about that. Not now. Uh, But all of that said, yes, Sean, I do agree with your general point. And this to me is a concerning thing that this quarterback situation for Washington this offseason is being forced. Uh, There very much is a forced nature to all of this. Washington being all in on getting a franchise quarterback this offseason is exciting, but that also isn't healthy. I've brought this up before. It usually is not good when you have to do something or you have to get something. You're almost always better off, certainly from a negotiating standpoint, when you could perhaps do something or could perhaps get something as opposed to having to do something or having to get something. Desperation isn't good. It forces you to overpay. It forces you to settle for things for which you wouldn't otherwise settle. And this is a concern for me that Washington, because of all of the losing for years now, and because of all of the subpar quarterback play for years now, and because Ron Rivera is entering his third season as Washington head coach and feels like he needs to have a winning season, and because of the new name, feels this pressure to do something at quarterback this offseason that Washington is going to do something that isn't good. Now, hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully Washington this offseason does something that ends up proving to be great in terms of the quarterback position. But, you know, when you're desperate, you can do things that you end up regretting. And I just hope that Washington doesn't end up doing something that the team ends up regretting. Uh, Email from Dave, a.k.a. Yano, on the plans for this podcast for this Wednesday. Writes Yano, are you going to delay recording your show on 2.2.22 until 9 a.m.? So as to discuss the new name. Uh, great question, Yano. I've actually been debating what I should do about this Wednesday. What I should do about 2.2.22. Because the new name is going to be announced on Wednesday morning. So Wednesday's installment of the podcast would come out as every installment of the podcast does in the 5 a.m. hour. And then we'd have the new name by, say, the 7 a.m. hour or 8 a.m. hour or 9 a.m. hour. Whenever the announcement is actually happening. I could go either way on this, but what I'm going to do for Wednesday is do a normal show, okay? So a show that's out 
in the 5 a.m. hour. A, because there's actually a lot happening on Tuesday night. Uh, The Capitals, the Wizards, Maryland, Georgetown, and Virginia will all play on Tuesday night. B, because I would like to take in the entire day on Wednesday. I'd like to take in the entirety of 2.2.22 before talking about it on the podcast because there could be a lot more to the day than just the actual announcement of the new name in the morning. And C, because I can make Wednesday show so that it isn't like obsolete by the time that the new name is announced on Wednesday morning. And the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to make Wednesday's show a final goodbye to Redskins. Uh, Before we say hello to Commanders or Admirals or Hogs or Red Hogs or Beacons or Belters or Wayfarers or whatever, I want to say goodbye to Redskins. And I also want to talk about why exactly the name is changing. The events that have led to this name change to me have not been fully explored. So I'm going to make Wednesday's show a goodbye to Redskins. I'm not going to make Wednesday's show a debate about whether the name should have changed, but I am going to make Wednesday's show a final goodbye to Redskins and to look at why exactly the name is changing. The name change debate was basically over. And then It was resurrected, and that resurrection is very interesting to me. Well, also interesting is the work of Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wrong. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. Paulson and Nace offers fierce advocacy on behalf of medical malpractice, birth injury, and personal injury victims throughout Washington, D.C., at West Virginia. For months now, you've heard me tell you, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. We'll also know this about Paulson and Nace. If you own or run a Washington, D.C.-based or West Virginia-based business, Paulson and Nace can help you with your business insurance policy. A business insurance policy is meant to reimburse you for losses incurred in catastrophes like fires or burglaries, but business insurance also includes business interruption insurance. With the COVID-19 pandemic and resulting restrictions, there may be legal options available to you to recoup your losses. Contact Paulson and Nace to find out more. The attorneys at Paulson and Nace can help you review your business insurance policy and understand what options you have in running a business in these uncertain times. So whether you're dealing with a personal injury, medical malpractice, or business insurance situation, contact Paulson and Nace. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. These guys are excellent at what they do. Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Uh, 
All right, so let's examine conference championship Sunday in the NFL playoffs from a Washington football team perspective. The undeniable number one lesson of this NFL postseason has been the value of quarterback play. It's funny how things can work out. Here we have Washington this offseason embarking on an all-out search for a franchise quarterback and as if the team needed more reason for the search, as if the team needed more motivation for the search, we have had what we have had this NFL postseason, like screaming reminders of just how important the quarterback position is. The NFL has become a league of offense. The NFL has become a league of passing. The NFL has become a league of comebacks. No lead is safe. The Cincinnati Bengals in their 27-24 overtime win at the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship game on Sunday overcame a 21-3 second quarter deficit. The Los Angeles Rams in their 2017 win over the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game on Sunday night overcame a 17-7 fourth quarter deficit. Uh, This was off what happened the previous Sunday. The Rams in their 30-27 30-27 win at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the divisional round, one despite blowing a 23 third quarter lead. The Chiefs and Buffalo Bills in the Chiefs' epic 42-36 overtime win over the Bills in the divisional round combined for the insane 25 points over the final two minutes of the fourth quarter. No lead is safe. No defense is great enough. The NFL is a league of offense. The NFL is a league of passing. The NFL is a league of quarterbacks. Now, having a great quarterback doesn't guarantee you anything. Uh, Just ask the Green Bay Packers. But having a great quarterback puts you in a much better position than not having a great quarterback. And that's obvious, but that needs to be understood. And yes, a team needs other good players beyond its starting quarterback, but no position comes close to mattering as much as quarterback matters. It's a tricky deal in the NFL right now. I mean, you think about it. Because of the rules, because of the way that the game is officiated, because of offensive philosophies, it actually has never been easier to play quarterback. And yet, the position of quarterback has never mattered more. Let's talk about the impact of a certain quarterback, Joe Burrow, on the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Burrow and the Bengals' overtime win at the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. Didn't have monster stats, but he did achieve greatness. The Bengals overcame that 21-3 second quarter deficit. The 18-point come-from-behind win tied for the largest come-from-behind win in AFC Championship game history. Also, the 18-point come-from-behind win tied for the second-largest road comeback win in NFL postseason history. This was a gack job by the Chiefs, no doubt, but this also was a tremendous comeback by Burrow and the Bengals. Burrow became just the second NFL quarterback since 1950 to lead a game-winning drive in each of his first two career road playoff starts. He joined Colin Kaepernick, and while Burrow didn't have monster stats, he did make some big plays. I mean, he had that huge fourth quarter, third and seven, 11-yard shotgun scramble on the drive that resulted in Evan McPherson's tie-breaking 52-yard field goal for a 24-21 Bengals lead with 6.04 left in the fourth quarter. Speaking of Evan McPherson, speaking of the man known as Shooter McPherson, how about this guy, by the way? I mean, I talked about him on last Monday's show, episode 235. The Bengals took McPherson in the fifth round of the 2021 NFL Draft out of Florida. Look, taking a kicker or any special team specialist to me is a big no-no 
in NFL drafts. However, if you need to make a case for taking a kicker in an NFL draft, Evan McPherson is serving as evidence for that case. Evan McPherson now this postseason, 12 of 12 on field goals. He has gone 4 of 4 on field goals in each of the Bengals' three games this postseason. McPherson in the AFC Championship game on Sunday, 4 of 4 on field goals, the 32-31, 52 and 31 yards. The 52-yard field goal gave the Bengals a 24-21 lead with 6.04 left in the fourth quarter. His second 31-yard field goal of the game was the game-winning field goal, 5.38 into overtime. And don't forget what McPherson did in the Bengals' 1916 win at the Tennessee Titans in the divisional round. McPherson in that game, 4-4 on field goals, a 38-45-54 and 52 yards. And the 52-yard field goal came as time expired in the fourth quarter. And McPherson, over 16 games in the 2021 regular season, 9 of 11 on field goals of at least 50 yards. His nine made field goals of at least 50 yards were number one in the NFL. No NFL kicker in the 2021 regular season made as many field goals of at least 50 yards as Evan McPherson did, as Shooter McPherson did. What a rookie season this guy is having. Has any NFL kicker ever had a rookie season as good as the one as Evan McPherson is having. Anyway, back to Joe Burrow. Uh, The Bengals went from the worst team in the NFL in the 2019 season to AFC champions for the 2021 season. It took just two years for the Bengals to engineer this turnaround. And the number one reason for the turnaround, of course, is Joe Burrow. The impact a franchise quarterback can have is monumental. I mean, this lesson of Joe Burrow with the Bengals slaps you right in the face as a Washington football team fan, does it not? Bengals, of course, took Joe Burrow with the number one pick in the 2020 NFL draft, and he has changed everything for the Bengals. And that a franchise quarterback can be incredibly impactful isn't some revelation. However, the quickness with which Joe Burrow has turned things around for the Bengals really is astounding. The Bengals in the 2019 regular season went an NFL worst 2-14 and with a point differential of minus 141. The Redskins in the 2019 regular season went 3-13 and with an NFC worst point differential of minus 169. And yet the Bengals went from being so bad in the 2019 season to going 10-7 and and winning the AFC North in the 2021 regular season and then winning the AFC Championship in the 2022 NFL playoffs. A great franchise quarterback can change everything and quickly. The idea that a rebuild has to take three to five years just isn't true, okay? It sounds good. And it buys the head coach and general manager more time, but three to five years does not have to be the timetable. If you get the right quarterback, things can change in an instant. Things can change on a dime. And people can talk all they want about other good players who the Bengals got. And yes, those guys have helped, but nobody has come close to helping as much as Joe Burrow has helped. And without Joe Burrow, none of this is happening for the Bengals right now. The Bengals are not AFC champions, if not for Joe Burrow. Let's make that crystal clear. You can highlight all the other good players you want on the Bengals. It's all about Burrow in terms of why the Bengals 
are AFC champions. I mean, the Bengals had not won a postseason game since January 1991. Joe Burrow changed that. The Bengals had never won a road postseason game. The Bengals had been 0-7 all time in road playoff games. Joe Burrow, this postseason, has quarterbacked the Bengals to -to back-to-back road playoff wins. The 1916 win at the Tennessee Titans in the divisional round and the 27-24 overtime win at the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. What the Bengals had never done, they have done twice in eight days, thanks to Joe Burrow. Now, there are two Washington connections to Joe Burrow as Bengals quarterback. The first is that he, in his 2020 rookie season, suffered a torn left ACL and MCL on a hit by Jonathan Allen in Washington's 29 win over the Bengals at FedEx Field on November 22nd, 2020. So you think about Burrow, it's not just that he's doing what he's doing this season, it's that he's doing what he's doing this season in his A, second NFL season, and B, comeback season off a severely injured left knee. It gets forgotten that Joe Burrow suffered a torn left ACL and MCL pretty deep into the 2020 regular season. Again, November 22nd, 2020, and yet here we are, and Joe Burrow doing just fine in this 2021 NFL season. The second Washington connection to Joe Burrow as Bengals quarterback is that Washington, of course, had the number two pick in the 2020 NFL draft. Washington in that 2020 draft, of course, took Chase Young with that number two pick. Uh, Washington did come quite close to having the number one pick in the 2020 draft. Washington 3-13 and in the 2019 regular season. Washington's three wins in the 2019 regular season included a 17-16 win at the Miami Dolphins on October 13th, 2019. And if you remember the circumstances of this game, the then Dolphins head coach Brian Flores in the fourth quarter benched starting quarterback Josh Rosen in favor of future Washington quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. And Fitzpatrick came into the game and was outstanding. Fitzpatrick in the fourth quarter, 12 of 18 for 132 yards and a touchdown. The touchdown pass came with six seconds left in the fourth quarter, and the Dolphins went for two. The Dolphins went for the win as opposed to the tie, and the result was a drop by Dolphins running back Kenyon Drake on a pass by Fitzpatrick. Had Kenyon Drake caught that football, there's a good chance that Washington would have lost that game, right? Because there were just seconds left in the fourth quarter. And had Washington lost that game, and had everything else in the 2019 regular season gone exactly as it ended up going, Washington, and not the Bengals, would have had the number one pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. The top tiebreaker for order in an NFL Draft is strength of schedule. The team with the lower strength of schedule gets the higher selection in the tiebreak. So had Washington gone 2-14 and 14 in the 2019 regular season, and the Bengals went 2-14 and 14 in the 2019 regular season, Washington would have gotten the number one pick in the 2020 draft. Strength of schedule is the aggregate winning percentage of a team's opponents. The Redskins' opponents in the 2019 regular season had an aggregate winning percentage of 465. The Bengals' opponents in the 2019 regular season had an aggregate winning percentage of 465. 77. Now, a few things with all of this. This presumption that if Kenyon Drake catches that pass, 
everything goes exactly as it ended up going is quite the presumption, okay? Like, that's a different universe. So if Washington loses that game at the Dolphins in 2019, who's to say that Washington doesn't change other things uh, moving forward? And so maybe Washington ends up winning a game that Washington lost as that 2019 season went on. Like, the domino effect of something like that, you can't just say that's one thing that if you change that one thing, everything else still stays the same. You can't just assume that. You know what I mean? So I think it's overrated when people get all caught up in it. If Kenyon Drake had just caught that ball, then Washington would have had the number one pick in the 2020 draft. It's a fun conversation, okay? And it does make you think. That's true. But you also just can't assume that everything would have gone exactly as it ended up going in that 2019 regular season. There's also this. Would Washington have taken Joe Burrow with the number one pick? in the 2020 NFL draft. After all, right, Washington at the time had Dwayne Haskins, on whom Dan Snyder, the Danny, had forced the usage of the number 15 pick in the 2019 NFL draft. And Dwayne had played well in each of his final two games in that 2019 regular season. However, I do think that Washington would have taken Joe Burrow with the number one pick in the 2020 draft. And I think that because it has been said that Washington had Burrow as a number one player on its board for the 2020 NFL draft. And Ron Rivera has suggested that he would have taken Burrow had he been available uh, at number two in the 2020 draft. So I know some people think that Danny would have never allowed Ron to take Burrow with the number one pick in the 2020 draft. I actually don't think that's the case. I think that Washington would have taken Burrow with the number one pick in the 2020 draft. Uh, Now, we know that Washington tried for a franchise quarterback last offseason, the 2021 offseason. Matthew Stafford, who has made it to a Super Bowl. Uh, Stafford in the NFC Championship game, 31 of 45 for 337 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He was outstanding on third downs. The Rams in the NFC Championship game on third downs, 11 of 18. Stafford earned his money and then some with his performance on third downs in that NFC Championship game. You know, Matthew Stafford had lost 26 consecutive starts, regular season and postseason, when trailing by at least 10 points, entering a fourth quarter. That streak now over. The come-from-behind win over the 49ers in the NFC Championship game, Rams overcoming the 17-7 fourth quarter deficit. I tell you, what a job by Stafford this postseason. He had the two big clutch throws to receiver Cooper Cup late in the fourth quarter of the divisional round win over the Bucs. And now he has quarterbacked the Rams to an NFC Championship game win in which they overcame a 10-point fourth quarter deficit. Now, as we know, Washington, per multiple reports, offered at least a first-round pick and a third-round pick to the Detroit Lions for Stafford. Uh, Dallas Cowboys insider Mike Fisher of SI.com last February 1st reported that Washington offered its 2021 first-round pick, a third-round pick, and, quote, a starting player, end quote, to the Lions for Stafford. The Rams package for Stafford ended up being quarterback Jared Goff, first-round picks in the 2022 and 2023 NFL drafts and a 2021 third round pick. So the Rams got Stafford for golf two ones into three. Washington at most, we believe, offered a one of three and a starting player for Stafford. Now there is a belief that the Rams dumping golf on the Lions is why the Rams had to include 
all of that draft capital. In other words, the Lions getting Goff was seen as the Lions taking on Goff and his contract, not the Lions getting a guy who they wanted in Goff, you know, not the Lions getting themselves someone in Goff who the Lions were lusting after or anything like that. So if in fact that was the case, then you potentially can take away either one of the first round picks or the third round pick and try to figure out what exactly Stafford himself went for in the trade. But bottom line, the Rams gave up more for Stafford than Washington was willing to give up. Now, it has been said, and it is quite possible, that Stafford didn't want to come to Washington, that he preferred the Rams. Uh, Why wouldn't he have preferred the Rams, given uh, the excellence of the Rams with former Washington offensive coordinator Sean McVay as head coach? And so maybe Washington never really had that much of a shot at trading for Stafford. But we do know that Washington tried to trade for Stafford And now you really wonder, well, should Washington have tried harder to trade for Stafford? That's the what if. Like, what if Washington had offered, say, two first-round picks and a third-round pick for Stafford? Would he now be Washington's franchise quarterback? Would Washington have had a much better 2021 season than Washington had? Would we all be feeling a lot better about Washington right now? Look, I'm not going to be a phony I was fine with Washington going as far as it went in trying to acquire Matthew Stafford last offseason. I didn't want Washington giving up too much to get Matthew Stafford. But you look at things now, you see how well Stafford has done this season. He's just won an NFC championship. You see the predicament that Washington is in. There is no easy answer to this Washington quest for a franchise quarterback this offseason. And, you know, if in fact, say, Tom Brady is retiring and you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the market for a new quarterback, you already have the Pittsburgh Steelers in the market for a new quarterback, you have a bunch of other teams thinking quarterback this offseason, right? You think about the New Orleans Saints, you think about the Carolina Panthers, you think about the Denver Broncos, you think about who knows who else. Yeah, you're kind of like, well, maybe Washington should have tried a little harder to get Matthew Stafford last offseason. It's hindsight. I get that. But it's something you think about right now if you're a Washington football team fan. There's no guarantee that Matthew Stafford would be doing with Washington as he is doing with the Rams. But again, it's a thought that has to cross your mind if you're a Washington fan. And this Rams trade for Matthew Stafford has worked, point blank, period. I mean, he has the Rams in the Super Bowl. One more quarterback-related item for Washington off conference championship Sunday. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy G, uh, what say we now about a potential Washington pursuit of Jimmy G this offseason? I say buyer beware. A, significant injury history. B, the 49ers clearly don't love him, and you have to wonder why. We know that the Niners don't love Garoppolo. Otherwise, the Niners would not have made the big trade-up in the 2021 NFL Draft to take a quarterback who, of course, ended up being Trey Lance. And C, Garoppolo, while decent, isn't great, okay? I mean, that's as clear as can be. He's not awful, but he's certainly not great. And what you really want is great. I mean, if you're going to give up assets, give up assets for great. Don't give up assets for, at best, decent. And, you know, it's not like Garoppolo is set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. Washington would have to trade for Garoppolo, and he's only under contract for one more season. So Washington, quite possibly, would have to extend Garoppolo. So are you willing to trade for Garoppolo and extend 
Garoppolo. You know, you look at what Jimmy Garoppolo ended up doing this postseason. Yes, he did quarterback the 49ers to two big road wins. And I do give him credit for that. The two wins, a 23-17 win at the Dallas Cowboys in the wildcard round and a 13-10 win at the Green Bay Packers in the divisional round. And look, I know that he wasn't dynamic in those games, but he does get some credit for those two victories. But that said, he wasn't dynamic in those two games, nor was he dynamic in the NFC Championship game. You know, the Niners end up blowing a 10-point fourth quarter lead in a 2017 loss at the Rams in the NFC Championship game on Sunday night. Garoppolo in the game just 16-30, 232 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Jimmy Garoppolo in the NFC Championship game per ESPN when pressured went just 2 of 10 with an interception. Jimmy Garoppolo over his three games this postseason when it combined 43 of 74. That's a completion percentage of just 58.12. He threw for just 535 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of 7.23. He had two touchdown passes versus three interceptions. Uh, Is there something there with Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah. I mean, again, he's not terrible. But is Garoppolo worthy of Washington giving up a significant asset or giving up significant assets and extending? I would prefer Washington use its assets for a trade-up in the 2022 NFL draft for a quarterback with upside, assuming that Washington likes one or more of the quarterbacks in the 2022 draft. Get me a guy who potentially, at least, can be great. Don't get me a guy who we already know isn't great. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo isn't changing. Jimmy Garoppolo is what he is. Now, could he maybe have a great season? Yeah, I mean, he did have a great 2021 regular season. That is true. But nobody looks at Jimmy Garoppolo as being a great quarterback. Again, why did Kyle Shanahan make the big trade-up in the 2021 draft to take a quarterback if Garoppolo is all that? You don't want decency at quarterback. You want greatness at quarterback. And this NFL postseason continues to tell us that as much as anything. Up next, we actually had some Washington football team news over the last few days, including an assistant coach potentially leaving and the re-signing of a defensive player who may be more significant than we realized. I'll get to all of that after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
So we had a conference championship Sunday in the NFL on, well, Sunday. But we also had actual Washington football team news over the last few days. Uh, let's start with this. We on Saturday had multiple reports that Washington defensive backs coach Chris Harris was to interview for the Indianapolis Colts defensive coordinator vacancy. Uh, that vacancy created by Matt Eberflus last week, leaving his post as Colts defensive coordinator to become Chicago Bears head coach. Not the first time that Chris Harris potentially leaving Washington to become a defensive coordinator has come up. Harris in January 2021 interviewed for the Philadelphia Eagles defensive coordinator vacancy. Uh, Chris Harris is a very well-regarded NFL assistant coach. He, prior to being hired by Washington in January 2020, was the Los Angeles Chargers assistant defensive backs coach from 2016 through 2019. It was under Harris's watch that the Chargers had two first-team all-pro defensive backs for the 2018 regular season, rookie safety Derwin James and defensive back Desmond King. I mean, that is pretty remarkable, right? Like, to have one all-pro defensive back is special enough. The Chargers for the 2018 regular season had two all-pro defensive backs, and one of them was a rookie in Derwin James. And Harris was the Chargers' assistant defensive backs coach at the time. Now, Obviously, results for Washington defensive backs during Chris Harris's time as Washington defensive backs coach have been mixed. And we all know that Washington's pass defense in the 2021 regular season was not good. Uh, but how much of that is on the defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio versus being on the defensive backs coach Chris Harris, right? I mean, that to me is a question very much worth asking to say nothing of how much of Washington's pass defense in the 2021 regular season being bad was on the head coach, Ron Rivera, whose background is defense. Like to me, Ron and Jack are responsible for Washington's defensive schemes and philosophies. A position coach like Chris Harris is here to coach up players in accordance with those schemes and philosophies. But Harris isn't here determining the schemes and philosophies. And we have seen plenty of Washington defensive backs do well over Chris Harris's two seasons as Washington defensive backs coach. Ronald Darby in 2020, Jimmy Moreland in 2020, Kendall Fuller in 2021, Cameron Curl in each of the last two seasons. So there is a body of work here for Chris Harris. Uh, Chris Harris, by the way, was an NFL defensive back himself. He was an NFL defensive back 2005 through 2012. Meantime, Washington on Friday announced the re-signing of linebacker David Mayo to a contract extension. Uh, the extension reportedly is a one-year deal. Mayo had been set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. The 2022 season will be Mayo's age 29 season. Uh, Washington last March 18th, what was just the second day of the NFL's new league year, announced the signing of David Mayo, who had been an unrestricted free agent. So Mayo last offseason was a priority for Washington to at least some extent. Now, Washington this past August 31st released Mayo and the cut down to 53. So, you know, him being a priority only went so far. But Washington, this past September 1st, signed Mayo to the active roster. And David Mayo in the 2021 regular season played in 16 of Washington's 17 games. Now, he in the 2021 regular season played on just 15% of Washington's defensive snaps, but he was number three on Washington in special team snaps at 66 0.21%. Uh, so David Mayo is a special teams ace. In fact, only Troy Apke, aka Trap, and DeShazer Everett uh, played on more Washington special team snaps in the 2021 regular season than David Mayo did. Uh, the most notable game for David Mayo in the 2021 regular season was the 2016 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field 
in Week 17. Uh, Mayo in that game played on 66% of Washington's defensive snaps, a total of 40 defensive snaps. Jamin Davis in that game played on just 21% of Washington's defensive snaps, just 13 total defensive snaps. And as you may recall, we after that game talked a whole lot about David Mayo playing so much more than Jamin Davis did in that game. I mean, again, David Mayo in that game, 40 total defensive snaps. Jamin Davis in that game, just 13 defensive snaps. And this wasn't, you know, week one of Jamin Davis's rookie season. This was week 17 of Jamin Davis's rookie season. Well, Ron Rivera in his day after the game Zoom press conference on January 3rd noted that Mayo in the game did well as Washington's Mike Linebacker, uh, which was supposed to have been Jamin Davis's role. Uh, Ron noted that Mayo playing the mic freed up Cole Holcomb to make plays. And Ron reiterated this at his season-ending joint press conference with General Manager Martin Mayhew on January 11th. So it may well be that David Mayo in the 2022 regular season plays on a lot more than just 15% of Washington's defensive snaps as he did in the 2021 regular season. Ron right now seems off this idea of Jamin Davis as a Mike linebacker. And Given Washington's many other needs, I'm not sure that Washington will get itself a starting caliber Mike linebacker this offseason. Maybe Washington will. Hopefully Washington will. But remember, we last offseason expected all of this activity at linebacker for Washington. And Washington ended up not doing much at the position beyond taking Jamin Davis with the number 19 pick in the 2021 NFL draft and signing David Mayo to a cheap one-year contract. So the plan for next season in terms of the top three linebackers for Washington may well be David Mayo as a Mike and Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis as the two outside linebackers in that 4-3 base alignment, which remember, Washington only utilizes like a third of the time. Uh, David Mayo is part of the Carolina Mafia for Washington. David Mayo is one of about uh, 74 different former Carolina Panthers players on Washington. Uh, The Panthers took Mayo in the fifth round of the 2015 NFL Draft out of Texas State. He played for the Panthers from 2015 through 2018 as mostly a special teams player. And Mayo, in fact, led the Panthers in special team snaps for the 2016 and 2017 regular seasons and was number two on the Panthers in special team snaps for the 2018 regular season. Uh, Mayo signed a two-year contract with the San Francisco 49ers as an unrestricted free agent in March 2019, but he was released by the 49ers in their cut down to 53 for the 2019 season. Mayo then signed with the New York Giants as an unrestricted free agent in September 2019, played for them for two seasons, 2019 and 2020. Mayo in the 2019 regular season for the Giants played in all 16 games, including 13 starts. Mayo in the 2020 regular season dealt with a torn meniscus in his left knee, uh, and he for the Giants played in just 11 games, including two starts. Now, the Twitter responses to Washington announcing this contract extension for David Mayo were hysterical, okay? Twitter, as you surely know, is a cesspool of over-the-top negativity and snark. The Washington football team, via its official Twitter handle, announced the signing of Mayo to a contract extension on Friday morning, and here were some of the responses to that tweet. From Jeremy, he's horrible, bro. If this is a sign of the direction this team is going this offseason, not good. From MVP, y'all giving the wrong people extensions Does Terry McLaurin exist? From Dino, nobody 
love slow linebackers <laughs> like at Washington NFL. From Riz, how TF, I'll let you figure out what TF stands for, how TF y'all gonna pay Mr. Miracle Whip <laughs> before Terry? And on and on. The responses went like that. The idea that Washington should have already signed Terry McLaurin to a contract extension is comical. Jeez, people, Washington's offseason just started. Uh, Twitter is so not the place for, you know, rational, well-reasoned thinking. We all know that by now. But that doesn't mean that Twitter can't be funny. And some of those responses were so ridiculous and so reactionary that they were funny. Mr. Miracle Whip has been re-signed. Well, we move now to the non-Washington football team-related and non-NFL items from the weekend. Unfortunately, there was a lot of losing in Washington, D.C. sports over the weekend, but not every team lost. The Capitals didn't lose. Uh, now, the Caps only played once over the weekend, and that was on Friday night. Caps have had a weird schedule this season. Some of that has been due to COVID-19, but some of that has been just due to like the quirkiness of the Caps schedule. But no games for the Caps on Saturday and Sunday, but the Caps played on Friday night, and they were terrific on Friday night. The Caps improved to 24-12-9 with a 5-0 win at the Dallas Stars on Friday night. A dominant, convincing victory for the Caps. A much-needed win for the Caps. They were coming off having suffered a regulation loss in six of the team's previous 10 games, but the Caps got this win in which the team tied its largest margin of victory in a game this season. Uh, the Caps scored three goals in the first period and two goals in the second period, and the Caps chased from the game. Yes, the Holtbeast, uh, the star starting goaltender, was ex Caps goaltender Braden Holtby, and uh, Holtby stopped just 22 of the 27 shots on goal that he faced. He got pulled from the game. After two periods, look, Braden Holtby is the greatest goaltender in Caps history. Uh, I, as a Caps fan, don't like take joy in him getting pulled from a game like that. But I do take joy in the Caps playing as they did on Friday night, especially considering that the Caps, once again this season, were without a bunch of key players. Defenseman Michael Kempney did not play due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Defenseman Nick Jensen did not play for a fourth consecutive game due to an upper body injury that he suffered in the Caps' 4-3 loss at the Boston Bruins on January 20th. Forward TJ Oshie did not play for a seventh consecutive game due to an upper body injury that he suffered in a 2-0 win at the New York Islanders on January 15th. And Ford Anthony Mantha did not play as he remains out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th. And yet still, the Caps won at the Stars 5-0 on Friday night as Vitek Vanacek pitched a shutout. Uh, Vitek was the Caps starting goaltender for a fifth time in six games. He stopped all 29 of the shots on goal that he faced. And Vitek, per natural stat trick, stopped all nine of the high-danger shots on goal that he faced. You know, we all season have been waiting for one of the Caps' two primary goaltenders, Vitek Vanacek, Ilya Samsonov, to assert himself as the Caps' number one goaltender. Uh, neither guy has done so, and perhaps neither guy will. But understand this, Vitek Vanacek this season has been much better then Ilya Samsonov has been this season at stopping the high danger shot on goal. One of the best ways to me to evaluate a goaltender is to see how he does when facing the toughest shots, the high danger shots on goal, and to see how that goaltender does when facing high danger shots on goal in five-on-five -five situations. So remove penalty kill situations 
from the equation. Vitek Vanacek this season, per natural stat trick, has a save percentage on five on five high danger shots on goal of 871. Ilya Samsonov this season, per natural stat trick, has a save percentage on five on five high danger shots on goal of 802. 871 versus 802. Uh, that's a significant difference. You know, everyone talks about how much more talented Ilya Samsonov is as compared to Vitek Vanacek. Okay, fine. But Vitek has been the one standing on his head against high danger shots on goal far more often than Ilya has been this season. And don't look now, but Vitek Vanacek now has an overall save percentage of 941 over his last six games. That's quite good. 941 save percentage over his last six games. Vitek over his last six games has stopped 159 of the 169 shots on goal that he has faced. I also want to credit the Caps defensemen for their work on Friday night. Caps defensemen did a really nice job in this game, especially considering that the Caps were minus two defensemen in Nick Jensen and Michael Kepney. The Caps on Friday night totaled 19 block shots. Uh, defenseman John Carlson and forward Garnett Hathaway each had a team-high tying four block shots. Defenseman Dmitry Orloff and Matt Irwin each had three block shots. Uh, also in this 5-0 win at the Stars, the Caps went 2-2 two two on the power play. Uh, Tom Wilson and defenseman John Carlson each had a first period power play goal. Good to see the Caps have a good night on the power play. The Caps came into the game with a power play efficiency this season of just 14.2%. We've been talking about that on the podcast. The Caps power play this season has not been good, was good on Friday night. Here was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame session with reporters on Friday night. PK was good. The power play was good. I thought the five-on-five was good. Um, I've said this a bunch of time. I believe that we're going to score. And so what we can, what we need to control is the defense part of it. And so I thought that tonight we were really good. VTech made big saves when we needed them to make big saves. And um, offensively, we were able to capitalize. It was nice to get the goals early, get into the game that way, especially on the power play, and just gain a little bit of confidence from that. Yeah, no doubt. Peter Laviolette has talked about the Caps having to chase the game uh, quite often this season. The Caps did not have to chase the game on Friday night. Uh, Nicholas Backstrom had a second period even strength goal and two power play assists. Evgeny Kuznetsov had two power play assists. Kuzi, by the way, on Sunday added it to the roster for the 2022 NHL All-Star Game. He replaces New York Rangers defenseman Adam Fox on the Metropolitan Division roster. So the Caps now have two All-Stars this season in Kuznetsov and Alex Ovechkin. Good to see Kuzi be added to the All-Star Game roster. Connor McMichael, had a second period, even strength goal, and a primary assist. And the Caps won this game at the Stars 5-0 on Friday night, despite Alex Ovechkin not registering a single point and totaling just three shots on goal and five total shot attempts. I mean, it's not that Ovechkin was terrible in the game, but it's not like Ovechkin was a major factor in the game either, and yet the Caps won this game 5-0. Now, Ovi in the game per natural stat trick did finish number four on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game at 58.62, the Caps with Ovechkin on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game, 17 shot attempts for versus allowing 12 shot attempts. Next up for the Caps, a big game in the Metropolitan Division. The Caps will be at the Pittsburgh Penguins Tuesday night at 7. Well, whereas the Capitals did very well in their lone game over the weekend, the Wizards did not do well in their lone game 
over the weekend. In fact, the Wizards got demolished in their lone game over the weekend. The Wiz fell to 23-26 and with a 115-95 loss at the Memphis Grizzlies on Saturday night. The unraveling of our Wizards continues. The Wizards lost their season-worst fifth consecutive game. The Wizards now are just 13-23 and since their 10-3 start to the season. And Saturday night's game wasn't even competitive. Now, yes, the Wizards were facing a good team in the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies came into the game 34-17 and this season. The Grizzlies came into the game third in the Western Conference this season. But still, like, do you have to get smashed? And the Wizards got smashed on Saturday night. The Wizards never led in the game. The Wizards lost the first quarter 30-15. Yes, the Wizards got doubled up in the first quarter 30-15. The Wiz trailed in the second quarter by 27 points. Maybe the worst aspect of this game was the rebounding. Uh, the Wizards got just eviscerated on the boards. The Wizards got out-rebounded by the Grizzlies 60-37. The Wizards had just seven offensive rebounds to the Grizzlies 21, and thus just seven second-chance points to the Grizzlies 36. The Wizards on Saturday night got outscored in second-chance points 36-7, the Wizards got owned by Steven Adams on the glass. The Wizards allowed Steven Adams in just 28-32 as a starter to have 15 rebounds, including 10 offensive boards. The Wizards' three starting bigs, Thomas Bryant, Kyle Kuzma, and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope combined for just 14 rebounds, including just three offensive rebounds. Uh, also, the Wizards had defensive problems on Saturday night. The Wizards allowed the Grizzlies to go 13-31 on threes. The Wizards got torched by John ja Morant. And look, John ja Morant's a great player. I get that. But still, the Wizards allowed John ja Morant to go 4-8 of eight on threes and 11-19 of 19 on twos. He scored 34 points in just 34-16 as a starter. The Wizards allowed the Grizzlies to score 60 points in the paint. Uh, the Wizards are a terrible team right now. Okay, and I don't take any joy in saying that. I am a Wizards fan, but they are a really bad team right now, and they were awful on Saturday night. Speaking of awful, Bradley Beal on Saturday night was awful in terms of his shooting. Uh, Beal in 35 minutes, 14 seconds as a starter, 0 of 1 on threes, just 2 of 10 on twos, and just 5 of 7 on free throws. He scored just 9 points the entire game. Yeah, the guy to whom the Wizards may be giving a five-year, $241 million max contract this summer, that guy on Saturday night went 2 of 11 from the field and scored just nine points. Now, Beal did have 12 assists versus two turnovers, so let me give him credit for that. I mean, that's not nothing, 12 assists versus two turnovers, but still just 2 of 11 from the field, just nine points. And more generally speaking, Beal is the supposed best player on the Wizards, right? I mean, he's the leader of the team, in theory anyway. This Wizards collapse this season is happening under his watch. Again, 13-23 and 23 since the 10-3 and 3 start to the season. How about Spencer Dinwiddie? Boy, is this Spencer Dinwiddie situation getting ugly. We've talked about how Dinwiddie just can't seem to be consistently good when playing with Beal. Well, Dinwiddie on Saturday night, another bad game in playing with Veal. Dinwiddie on Saturday night, one of three on threes, just two of seven on twos, three of four on free throws. He, in 26 minutes, 29 seconds, 
as a starter, scored just 10 points. Uh, he did have four assists versus no turnovers and three rebounds, but the underwhelming performances from Spencer Dinwiddie continue. And take a listen to what Spencer Dinwiddie said during his postgame press conference on Saturday night. He got asked about being a leader on the Wizards. Does this sound like a guy who's on the same page as his teammates? How about this? You know, it's a, it's an interesting situation. Uh, spoke up a little bit early on. Um, you know, it wasn't uh, necessarily welcomed. Uh, and so, like, like I said, I try to do whatever I'm, what's asked of me. Um, at the end of the day, everybody has, has a role to play. Um, it's about being accountable in your role and doing that to the best of your ability. Uh, it's really all I got. So how about that? How about that from Spencer Dinwiddie during his postgame press conference on Saturday night? Quote, it's an interesting situation. Spoke up a little bit early on. It wasn't necessarily welcomed. And so, like I said, I try to do whatever's asked of me. At the end of the day, everybody has a role to play. It's about being accountable in your role and doing that to the best of your ability. That's really all I got. End quote. (laughs) Well, that sounds healthy, right? I mean, that sounds perfectly normal. That sounds like Spencer Dinwiddie and his teammates are all getting along. Just fine and dandy. You know, one big happy family. Uh, There's something very off with this Wizards team. I have said that. Uh, I now believe that even more. There are so many signs of things being off with this team behind the scenes. You know, it was just a few weeks ago that Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during a postgame press conference talked about Spencer Dinwiddie and Bradley Beal not being on the same page. And I noted that on this podcast. I was like, hmm, that's an interesting thing for the head coach to say. And, you know, I'm not saying necessarily that there are problems definitively between Dinwiddie and Beal. But clearly, there are problems between Dinwiddie and somebody. Because you don't say what Dinwiddie said on Saturday night if there aren't problems between Dinwiddie and somebody, or Dinwiddie and multiple people on the team. Uh, I mentioned Wes Unsell Jr. So Wes Jr. on Saturday night was all over the place with his lineup and rotation. Daniel Gafford was a DNPCD. Did not play due to coach's decision. Daniel Gafford had started each of his 45 games this NBA regular season, but he also had played for less than 13 minutes in each of his previous six games. I've noted this too. Gafford's playing time had been plummeting, and on Saturday night, Daniel Gafford didn't play for a single second in the game. Uh, Thomas Bryant was the Wizards' starting center on Saturday night, but Bryant struggled. Uh, Thomas Bryant in 20 minutes, two seconds as a starter, went 0-1 on threes, just 2-7 on twos. He scored just four points. He grabbed just four rebounds. Like I said, the Wizards got embarrassed in terms of rebounding. Steven Adams on his own had 10 offensive boards. The Wizards as a team had just seven offensive rebounds. Here was Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Saturday night on not playing Daniel Gafford at all and on starting Thomas Bryant. Um, This is something we've been talking about, thinking about, um, you know, trying to give TB a chance with those starters. Um, You know, he was always kind of coming in a little later uh, with the second unit. We wanted to see how he responded and how it it worked. Um, He had a tough night, but that's not, to me, an indication to overreact. Uh, We'll give it a stretch and, and see how it goes. Hopefully, 
uh, those that five will, will figure it out and get and start to uh, coalesce. But you know, I think it's, it's in fairness, you know, he's out of rhythm and needs to kind of get back into um, those long stretches in the first quarter. All right, Wes Unsell Jr. then got asked a follow-up question. Would it have been better to, you know, actually play Daniel Gafford on Saturday night, given how much Steven Adams dominated the Wizards with his rebounding? Uh, you could argue that. Um, I, I can only speculate. I don't know. Um, it's uh, it's one thing to say, hey, it didn't work. But, uh, you know, if it had, we would say, hey, well, TB did a terrific job. So, um, potentially, yeah, it could have. You know, but it, I think it's a collective thing. Um, not one person in, you know, alone is going to stop Adams from going to the offensive glass. It's got to be a, a mindset with the other four guys that they have to hunt and hit him. Uh, he's leading the league right now in offensive rebounds. So I think he had 10 tonight. So uh, it's not just on TB. No, it's not. But a lot of it was on TB. A lot of it was on Thomas Bryant, but it wasn't just what went down with Daniel Gafford in Saturday night's blowout loss at the Grizzlies in terms of playing time that stood out. Davis Bertans was a DNPCD for a second consecutive game. Yes, the man to whom the Wizards in November 2020 gave a five-year, $80 million contract in a re-signing that we all wanted. I mean, I raised my hand. I wanted that re-signing. But that guy, Davis Bertans, now has been a DNPCD in each of the Wizards' last two games. Also, Haul Neto on Saturday night was a DNPCD. Wes Sunsell Jr. is shaking things up, but the Wizards remain in a rut. Again, there is something really wrong with this team. The chemistry with this team is off. The DNA of this team is off. And it's amazing in a lot of ways, right? Because things seemed so on and so healthy and so good during the Wizards' 10-3 and start to this season. But man, the team has just come apart at the seams since that 10-3 and start and has particularly come apart at the seams lately. Just some awful losses for the Wizards in recent days. Uh, a bright spot for the Wizards on Saturday night was Kyle Kuzma, 4 of 8 on 3, 7 and 9 on 2. He finished with 30 points, 8 rebounds, and 3 steals in 35-58 as a starter. He did have 3 assists versus 5 turnovers. Kuzma and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope on Saturday night, a combined 7 of 14 on 3s. That's good. The problem was that the rest of the Wizards went a mere 3 of 15 on 3s. The NBA trade deadline is on February 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern, major changes could be coming for the Wizards. Next up for the Wiz at the Milwaukee Bucks, Tuesday night at 7.30. All right, let's talk college basketball. The general theme for college basketball in the area this season is that college basketball in the area this season is not good. Uh, and that theme was further amplified on Saturday as Maryland, Georgetown, and Virginia all lost. Now, Virginia Tech did win, and VCU won as well. You know, I may have to start talking VCU on this podcast. The Rams improved to 13-6 and overall and 6-2 and in the A-10 with a 64-62 win at Richmond on Saturday. VCU, as of games through Saturday, number two in Division One in adjusted defensive efficiency for KenPalm.com. Adjusted defensive efficiency is points allowed per 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. Now, VCU being great defensively isn't new, but VCU this season particularly is elite 
defensively. And VCU may well end up being the only team in the mid-Atlantic region that ends up making the NCAA tournament. Uh, I'll talk Hokies in a bit, but let's first talk Terrapins. Uh, their mess of a season continues. Now, the Terps had won two consecutive games, 81-65 victory over then number 17 Illinois at Xfinity Center in College Park on January 21st, then a 68-60 win at Rutgers last Tuesday night. So we thought maybe, just maybe, there was some life to this Maryland season, but uh, the winning streak ended with a big thud over the weekend. Maryland fell to 11-10 and overall and 3-7 and in the Big Ten with a 68-55 loss to Indiana at Xfinity Center in College Park on Saturday afternoon. The Terps began the game on an 8-0 run. They then got outscored the rest of the game 68-47. The Terps shooting was horrendous. Uh, The Terps went just 6 of 27 on threes. Uh, We've talked about this. The Terps are not a good three-point shooting team. The Terps this season now are shooting a mere 31.9% on threes. Uh, The Terps went just 10 of 29 on twos. Terps got outscored in the paint by 16 points, 36-20. Terps did go 17 of 18 on free throws, but whatever. Uh, Eric Ayala just 2 of 10 on threes. 0 at 2 on twos. Ayala in 32 minutes, 55 seconds as a starter. Scored just six points. He did have six rebounds and five assists versus two turnovers. Uh, the Rhode Island transfer, point guard Fats Russell, he went just one of five on threes and just two of seven on twos. Fats in 33-11 as a starter had a game worse plus minus rating of minus 23. Fats Russell this season shooting just 31.3% on threes. Dante Scott had a rough game on Saturday afternoon. Just one of five on threes, 0 at two on twos. Uh, Scott in 34-52 as a starter scored just seven points. He had just three rebounds and he had one assist versus four turnovers. Dante Scott this season is shooting just a 29.9% on threes. Basketball in 2022 is about making threes and defending threes. Everybody knows this. If you can't consistently make threes, you're in trouble. The Terps cannot consistently make threes. The former Maryland head coach, Mark Turgeon, put together a roster without a single good three-point shooter. And the Terps are suffering big time because of that. Uh, Now, the Terps did hold Indiana to 6-20 on threes, but the Terps allowed the Hoosiers to go 20-40 of on twos. And the Terps bizarrely had zero black shots the entire game. How often does that happen? A team in a college basketball game, has zero black shots. And so a really bad season for Maryland basketball continues. You can always email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jerry Moore, who's a big Terps fan, wasted a trip to Xfinity on Saturday, used to dominate at home. Now we regularly lose at home. Scott and Ayala were horrible. The losing is taking a toll. Friends who were avid Terps fans for years now are losing interest and not going to games anymore, not even watching games this year. Question, are we seeing the end of what Lefty Drizel and Gary Williams worked so hard to build. We are now 10 years removed from our last moment of greatness. Will that end up being 30 years like it's been for the Skins? Will Xfinity Center become as empty as FedEx Field? Uh, Geez, uh, what a thought. Uh, Thanks for the email, Jerry. You know, Jerry hits on something that's a really big deal, the increasing irrelevance of Maryland basketball. Maryland basketball used to be a really big deal in the Washington, D.C. area. And look, if you're a Maryland basketball fan, Maryland basketball is still a big deal to you. But generally speaking, 
Maryland basketball is not a big deal in the Washington, D.C. area anymore. Like, in terms of overall juice, overall interest in the program, uh, that juice, that interest has declined precipitously over the last decade or so. There is a real lack of juice for Maryland basketball right now. Uh, It's a shame. It shouldn't be this way, and yet it is. Uh, Next up for Maryland, home to number 10, Michigan State, Tuesday night at 7. So maybe the Terps rise up and put together a great performance, maybe even a win over the Spartans, or maybe just maybe this Maryland season gets even worse on Tuesday night uh, in facing a really good team in Michigan State. Well, speaking of becoming increasingly irrelevant, uh, Georgetown. You know, at least Maryland is 3-7 and seven in the Big Ten this season. The Hoyas now are 0-7 oh in the Big East. Georgetown fell to 6-12 and 12 overall and 0-7 oh and in the Big East with a 56-53 loss at Butler on Saturday afternoon as the Hoyas lost their eighth consecutive game. Now, Georgetown did rally in this game. The Hoyas overcame a 12-point second-half deficit with a 23-10 run. Uh, The Hoyas went from trailing 42-30 with a little more than 14 minutes left in the second half to leading 53-52 with a little more than a minute left in the second half. But the Hoyas had allowed Butler to end the game on a 4-0 run. Uh, Georgetown allowed Aaron Thompson of Butler to connect on a way-too-easy driving layup for a 54-53 Butler lead with 105 left in the second half. And then the Hoyas' Aminu Muhammad committed a bad pass turnover with 45.5 seconds left in the second half. The Hoyas were not good offensively, went just 4 of 19 on threes, also went just 17 of 39 on twos, also committed 14 turnovers. The Hoyas did hold Butler to just 6 of 26 on threes. That was good, but the Hoyas also allowed Butler to go 16 of 32 on twos. Uh, I mentioned Aminu Muhammad. He is Georgetown's 6'5", five-star freshman. He did do plenty of good things in this game. He had an alley-oop go-ahead layup for a 53-52 Hoyas lead with a buck 24 left in the second half. He went 0-3 on threes, but 6-9 on twos, 4-5 on free throws, finished with 16 points, 6 rebounds, and 2 steals in 33 minutes as a starter. But he also had no assists versus 3 turnovers, including that big turnover in the final minute of the game. Uh, Donald Carey was good for the Hoyas, 2-5 on threes, 3-6 on twos. He finished with 12 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists versus no turnovers, and 3 steals in 38 minutes as a starter, but too many other key Hoyas struggled. Uh, the point guard, Dante Harris, just one of four on threes, just two of seven on twos in 32 minutes as a starter. He finished with seven points, six rebounds, and five assists versus four turnovers. The three-point specialist, Caden Rice, the graduate transfer from the Citadel, he went just one of four on threes in 17 minutes off the bench. I just don't know that there's an answer for Georgetown this season. This is just not an overly talented team. And this is not a team that seems to be figuring things out, okay? Like, the Hoyas may be in games, but the Hoyas end up losing those games. Like, the Hoyas are not making nearly enough winning plays. We certainly saw that in this loss at Butler on Saturday afternoon. Georgetown, again, 0-7 in the Big East this season. Worst start ever for the Hoyas in Big East play. Next up for Georgetown, home to Seton Hall, Tuesday night at 8.30. The power conference team in the region that seems to be the most legit this season is Virginia. But every time you're ready to believe in this Virginia team, it seemingly falters. And that happened again over the weekend. Virginia fell to 12-9 and overall and 6-5 and in the ACC with a 69-65 loss at Notre Dame on Saturday evening. UVA for weeks now has been going win-loss, win-loss. Uh, the Cavaliers' biggest lead in this game on Saturday evening was a 4-0 lead early in the first half. The Cavs had allowed Notre Dame to go on a 52-33 run 
for a 15-point deficit for Virginia at 52-37 in the second half. Now, the Cavs did then go on a 28-15 run to cut their deficit to just two points at 67-65 with just 4.9 seconds left in the second half on a very deep three by Kihei Clark, but that was as close as the Cavs got in the second half. Uh, the two differences in the game were threes and free throws. The Wahoos went just 3 of 14 on threes and allowed Notre Dame to go 10 of 23 on threes. Uh, the Hoos went 8 of 12 on free throws. Notre Dame went 15 of 22 on free throws. So it's not that Notre Dame was great on free throws. Notre Dame was not great on free throws, but Notre Dame was plus 10 in free throw attempts and plus 7 in free throw points. So the Hoos had trouble shooting the three, had trouble defending the three, and had trouble defending without fouling. UVA's defense continues to be an issue. We're not used to saying that under head coach Tony Bennett, but the Hoos, as of games through Saturday, just 103rd out of 358 men's basketball teams in Division One in adjusted defensive efficiency for KentPalm.com this season. Uh, UVA was good defensively in its previous game, the 64-52 win over Louisville at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville this past Monday night, but the defense was back to being problematic in this loss at Notre Dame. Now, the Hoos did do some things well in this game. They went 24-45 on twos, outscored Notre Dame in the paint 38-24. Also, the Hoos had 12 offensive rebounds to Notre Dame's four and had 14 second chance points to Notre Dame zero. So those things were good, but not enough good for UVA in this game. Some individual standouts for Virginia. The East Carolina transfer, Jaden Gardner, was good. He went 10-17 from the field, all twos, finished with 22 points, 10 rebounds, including five offensive boards and two steals in 37 minutes, 22 seconds as a starter. The seven foot one Argentinian, Francisco Cafaro, he had a good game, 5-9 from the field, all twos, finished with 11 points, 12 rebounds and two steals in 28-20 as a starter, but Kihei Clark, the 5'10 senior point guard, just one of five on threes, just three of six on free throws. He did go three of three on twos. He finished with 12.6 assists versus three turnovers and three rebounds in 37-28 as a starter. Indiana transfer Armand Franklin struggled shooting, uh, just one of five on threes, just one of six on twos in 31-45 as a starter. Virginia is not going to blow you away offensively. Uh, the Cavs have got to get back to playing great defense because this has not been a great defensive team this season. Next up for Virginia, home to Boston College, Tuesday evening at 6. So Maryland, Georgetown, and Virginia all lost on Saturday, but Virginia Tech did win. Uh, the Hokies improved to 11-10 overall and 3-7 in the ACC with an 85-72 win at Florida State on Saturday afternoon in what was really an historic win for Virginia Tech. This was the Hokies' first win in Tallahassee since February 24th, 1990. Yeah, Virginia Tech had not won at Florida State since February 24th, 1990. Uh, that's some fact. Uh, the Hokies trailed by a point at 54-53 with less than 12 minutes left in the second half. But the Hokies interrupted for a 32-13 run for an 85-67 lead in the final minute of the game. And the biggest reason for Tech winning this game was Tech shooting, which was phenomenal. Uh, Tech went a scorching 18-25 on threes and went 14-27 on twos. But 18-25 on threes, that's fabulous. Tech's 18 made threes set a new single game ACC record for Tech. And how about this? This may surprise you. Virginia Tech, as of games through Saturday, was number 24 in Division One, in adjusted offensive efficiency for KenPalm.com. Adjusted offensive efficiency is points per 100 possessions 
adjusted for opponents. So yeah, Tech, you know, isn't a great team this season, but Tech is a good offensive team this season. Uh, Tech held Florida State to 5 of 13 on threes, did allow FSU to go 21 of 39 on twos, and did get outscored in the paint 42-20, but you know, some of that was a function of the Hokies just being really good on threes. And two Hokies in particular were outstanding on threes, Hunter Couture and Sean Padula. Uh, Hunter Couture in 38 minutes as a starter went 9 of 11 on threes. Yeah, 9 of 11 on threes. He tied a program single game record for made threes with those nine made threes. Couture finished with 27 points, four rebounds, and two blocks. And then the 6-1 freshman, Sean Padula, in just 23 minutes off the bench, six of seven on threes. He finished with 20 points and three assists versus two turnovers. Just lights out shooting from those two guys, Hunter Couture and Sean Padula. They went a combined 15 of 18 on threes. That is ridiculous. Uh, next up for Virginia Tech, home to Georgia Tech. Wednesday night at 9. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 241, will feature a special guest, Washington football team analyst Mark Bullock, who on his substack, markbullock.substack.com, has just published a position group by position group breakdown of the Washington football team. In-depth X's and O's analysis. You know, this week when it comes to the team known for just another few days as the Washington football team, it's going to be about things other than football. Uh, The new name that will be announced on Wednesday, the roundtable on Thursday with multiple former Washington football team employees before Congress detailing their experiences of workplace misconduct while working for Washington. And so before all of that, I'd like to get in some hardcore football talk for you. So one of the best Washington football team film breakdown guys out there, Mark Bullock, will be with me on Tuesday's show. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. You know, it's a, it's an interesting situation. Uh, spoke up a little bit early on. Um, you know, it wasn't uh, necessarily welcomed 